0: Our gospel lesson this day comes from the gospel of Luke as we continue in the series, Who is Jesus? And we've been through Matthew and Mark thus far, and we continue into Luke this week. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been raised. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue as he normally did and stood up to read. The synagogue assistant gave him the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the synagogue assistant, and sat down. Every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him. He began to explain to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. Everyone was raving about Jesus. So impressed were they by the gracious words flowing from his lips. They said, This is Joseph's son, isn't it? Then Jesus said to them, Undoubtedly, you will quote this saying to me, Doctor, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. He said, I assure you that no prophet is welcome in the prophet's hometown. And I can assure you that there were many widows in Israel during Elijah's time when it didn't rain for three and a half years and there was a great food shortage in the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them but only to a widow in the city of Zarephath in the region of Sidon. There were also many persons with skin diseases in Israel during the time of the prophet Elisha, but none of them were cleansed. Instead, Naaman the Syrian was cleansed. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was filled with anger. They rose up and ran him out of town. They led him to the crest of the hill on which their town had been built so they could throw him off the cliff. But he passed through the crowd and went on his way. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O oh Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do you remember when Oprah would give stuff? Away on her show. It may have peaked in the early 2000s, but I can remember things like everyone, look under your seats. There you'll find your keys to a brand new car, right? And she would do the whole thing. And there would be other times, and you get a refrigerator, and you get a refrigerator, and say it to everyone in the whole place. Now, once in a while, I really wish I had video capabilities in the room because I would show you the YouTube video that I looked up this week of the greatest hits of Oprah's greatest things, wherein she gave away things at Christmas time to people, Now, first of all, Oprah has a magnetism when she is giving stuff away that is impossible not to smile at. Like, seriously, if you can't laugh and enjoy that, then you probably don't have a soul. But secondly, the faces of the crowd are just amazing to watch when this happens. People are jumping around like crazy when they find out they get the new stackable washer-dryer. And when she gave away a car... People were immediately crying and hugging the person next to them. Many times, I don't think it was the person that was with them. Immense joy from adults that is typically reserved for six-year-olds on Christmas morning. Now, who doesn't like free stuff? Like, if I told you there was something under your pew this morning, because, like, you were tempted to check, (laughs) right? Right? And like somehow we knew you were worshiping online with us. And also there's something for you too, right? But but I'm not one of those kind of preachers, I'm sorry. But everyone on Oprah's show received the gift. Like who didn't love getting that? They were unmerited recipients, right? All they did was show up for the show that they had somehow won the lottery for. Now Jesus shows up on the scene in Luke's gospel, teaching in all of the synagogues around the area. Luke tells us that Jesus was praised by everyone. People liked what they were hearing. Jesus is beginning to get a following and get some notoriety right out of the gate in Luke's telling of this. And eventually, Jesus makes his way to Nazareth, where he is the hometown boy returning. People here remembered when he would run around as a kid. They changed his diapers, they would tell him, and watched him grow up. Naturally, they were going to be proud of him. So Jesus stands up to read the scripture, which was a common practice in a synagogue service. Multiple people might have read in a given service. And after standing to read, the teacher might sit for a while and expound upon the scriptures. These services were pretty informal, these synagogue service. There was not a bulletin to follow. The order was not very strict. So Jesus stands the attendant hands in Isaiah. He opens it up and reads from the prophet Isaiah. Most scholars consider this reading from Jesus to be the summary statement of Jesus' ministry in Luke. Every phrase of it has meaning. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus is being led through, by the spirit all throughout Luke's gospel. Jesus is in the footsteps of the prophets who were also under the Spirit, following the wiles and mysteries of Holy Spirit. Because the Lord has anointed me. Anointed meant made the Christ or the Messiah. It was not a soft or ambiguous term. The Christ is literally the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who saves. That is who Jesus is proclaiming to be in reading this text. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor. All throughout Luke, salvation is presented as good news for the poor. Luke's gospel has a social emphasis in it that lifts up the poor. To proclaim release to the prisoners, Jesus' ministry is going to free and liberate people, especially those wrongfully condemned by the empire. And recovery of sight to the blind Jesus will literally make the blind to see and the lame to walk. His healing ministry in Luke is not a distraction for him. It is a part of salvation. To liberate the oppressed. Salvation is going to come in Luke holistically, mind, body, and spirit. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus closes the reading here, making the connection that when these activities occur, healing... Freedom, lifting up the poor, that this is the jubilee that scripture has been talking about to this point. This short quotation from Isaiah 61 could very well be called Jesus' mission statement. Many scholars, when talking about Luke, they call it Jesus' inaugural address. He is laying out what his ministry is going to be all about. Then Jesus sits down, ready to comment on the scripture. All the eyes are on him, it says. And he says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. Today? Today, Jesus, you might as well have told everyone in the crowd to look under their seats of the synagogue. You get freedom. You get healing. You get riches. You get your land back from that nasty Roman regime. Jesus is telling the crowd, in his hometown, that in him this new age of jubilee has come. It's beginning, and that that time of God is today. And of course, the crowd goes wild. They love it. They are impressed by the gracious words flowing from his mouth. The Jewish people, after all, are victimized and colonized. They believed that they represented the very people that Jesus was lifting up in his reading. They identified as the poor, as the prisoners, the blind, and the oppressed. They were used to seeing themselves as the victim. And in many ways, they were the victim. For hundreds of years, since returning from exile, the Jewish people had been overtaken by whichever world power was in control. And at Jesus' time, this is Rome. The crowd was on board with Jesus when Jesus was for them. We are on board with Jesus when Jesus is for us. We like Jesus and his message when we represent the down and out, when we are the poor, the prisoners, the blind, and the oppressed. This is the message that gets broadcast to us by many in America churches are on the decline is the message that we hear we are the victims and have been ever since they removed prayer in schools or something like that the messaging goes christians and denominations and interest groups placing themselves in the position of the marginalized so that maybe they can be the ones who receive jesus's blessing for them realistically though this position of victim is kind of difficult for christians to claim in america After all, we are worshiping here without fear or repercussion. It's being broadcast online without anyone censoring it or stopping it. So are we really the victim? Are we really in a position of weakness? Jesus then continues, and the temperature of the crowd changes dramatically. It's almost like we're reading about two completely different groups of people, except for we're not. Apparently, people heard of the work that Jesus had done in Capernaum, where he will do great miracles, lots of healing going on. Apparently, this fact alone set many, upset many of the people in Nazareth because it was widely known that Capernaum had a heavily non-Jewish population. Was Jesus offering God's grace outside of Israel? And Jesus provides two examples from two of the most beloved prophets. Elijah, who was sent to the widow of Zarephath, a town in Sidon, outside of the bounds of Israel, in the midst of the great drought and famine. And he provided food for her family, healing for her son who was dying. And then Elisha, who cleansed Naaman, a Syrian, from skin disease. God's prophets, who were under the power of the Spirit, What were they doing? They were offering God's grace outside of Israel. And when they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was filled with anger. Why? This crowd just loved what they were hearing from Jesus. Is it simply just that the hometown boy could never really minister in his hometown? That's how I often understood and read this passage. But I don't think that is all of it. No, Jesus is taking God's favor beyond the Jews. And he will continue to do this all throughout Luke's gospel. He will heal people who are unclean. He will offer grace and positive words about Samaritans, many Jews' mortal enemy, What does Jesus' hometown crowd do with this information? They try to throw him off a cliff, literally. For they don't want Jesus who is for others. Oh, they love the Jesus who is for them. But Jesus is forcing them to deal with the tension that exists within their very own scriptures Jesus points to God's grace and embrace to all peoples using these stories of Elijah and Elisha. And they are pointing back to God's covenant to Abraham that that would make him a blessing, that he would be the father of many nations. In Luke's sequel to his gospel, the book of Acts, Jesus leaves the disciples with powerful words as he's ascending. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is not just a geographical statement from Jesus. It is a mission statement from Jesus about who is in, who is invited. And Jesus is saying, everyone, all nations, even those you thought were outside. We don't really want a Jesus who is for others. We like those encouraging verses and those encouraging songs that tell us that God is for us, for me. But then we encounter Jesus and we realize that he is for them too. We don't want Jesus to be for other denominations and people who don't think just like us. We don't want Jesus to be for the other political party or ideology because we have the right one. When we are encountered with this Jesus, who is for others, we also try to throw him off a cliff. We re-domesticate Jesus into our own image. We repaint the Renaissance paintings where Jesus is a white European and not a brown Middle Easterner. We make Jesus safe and palatable for us, for me. Friends, what if we are not the center of God's story? First of all, the story of God is not about you or me. We know that makes sense when we say it out loud, but sometimes it takes us a lot of work to get outside the idea that we are the center of the universe. This is the challenge of growing up of getting older, the humility that comes with realizing that everyone is not looking at me all of the time, that I am as not as important or as influential as I thought I was. Now, if this sounds depressing, it's not meant to be. For what if God's story always leads to expanding the table? We have this slogan that we adapted at Macedonia years ago that we call pull up a chair. It's on some shirts. You might see some car magnets with it if people still manage to keep their car magnet on when they went through the, the car wash. And even written as you walk out the door. In God's kingdom, there is always, always an extra place at the table. It's like God is a grandmother who always has room for one more. There are boundless leaves in God's table. And they just keep getting added in. They get brought from this magical attic, and you don't know where they're from, but they come in. A place is set for you. And there is always an opportunity for a place for someone else. There are no limits as to who gets invited. It is not an exclusive club. Rather, it is an inclusive and jovial occasion. Friends, I think that's probably what heaven is like. It's like the best dinner party. I think that's why so many scriptures imagine a heavenly banquet. Jesus, after all, is doing it constantly in his ministry. He is always embodying this inclusive and invitational way, especially at table with people. Jesus is always going out to the next circle. Jesus is always for the outsider. His grace is always extending always expanding. I just hope that we don't try to throw Jesus off a cliff when he goes and invites others to the table. Amen.